Welcome. You're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Martellero. And this week, my guest is thriller novelist Carter Wilson. Carter, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, John. Hey, it's great to have you on. Uh, my wife is voraciously reading your latest book. And that's how I discovered uh, you. And uh, we bought it at the Tatted Cover in Denver. Beautiful and store. It's a pretty hot book. Yeah, yeah. So for the listeners, I have a more extensive introduction to you. Uh, you are the USA Today and number one Denver Post bestselling author of six critically acclaimed standalone psychological thrillers, as well as numerous short stories. You are an ITW Thriller Award finalist, a three-time winner of the Colorado Book Award, and your novels have received multiple starred reviews from the Publishers Weekly, Booklist, and Library Journal. Your latest novel, which we'll talk about later, is The Dead Girl in 2A, was released in July 2019, and you live in Colorado like me. Cool. Yep, it is cool. I love this state. Uh, I noticed in your bio you said you were born in New Mexico. I spent some time in New Mexico, glorious state. How long were you there? <laughs> yeah, not very long, just a few years. But my dad's family all kind of came from the Taos, uh, Roswell, uh, Carlsbad kind of general area of New Mexico. So, yeah, definitely have roots down there, and it's always it's always nice to get back. We try to get to Santa Fe every now and then. Oh yeah, Santa Fe, glorious. New Mexico gets into your blood. It does. Yeah, it's wonderful country down there. So what were your earliest career aspirations when you grew up in L.A. that you said? What were you thinking about? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, to the extent anyone has career aspirations when they're when they're little or, or young, um, you know, I had heard I have, I have a long line of family members who went to Cornell University. And I thought, you know, that sounds pretty cool. That's a nice school. I was going to ask you about Cornell. <laughs> How did you get to Cornell from L.A.? <laughs> yeah, so it's just a long line. And uh, my grandfather uh, was in the hotel school at, at Cornell back in, you know, 1929 or so. And I thought a hotel school sounded kind of like a fun thing to do. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't be too hard. Um, and, you know, Cornell's got the number one ranked hotel school in the country. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's uh, so I uh, that my career asked, so I started working in hotels in high school to to you know try to have a better chance at getting in and uh, what'd you do? You know, front desk clerk worked in restaurants. You know, all, all parts of working in a hotel. Um, you know, you know all the kind of the service facing areas. Guest services, they call it, right? Oh yeah, guest service. Yep, yep. And uh, I went to uh, went to hotel school, and then out of hotel school, I actually worked in hotels for a couple of years. Did you scheme to work in a hotel in Vail and maybe learn to ski? <laughs> you know, I, I quickly learned that I didn't actually like working in hotels because the biggest problem I had is I generally don't like the, the, the public. <laughs> so it, it turned out to be an inherent conflict of interest. Um, you know, I have, I have, I, I have a, I think I have a deep love of humanity, but I just don't really like people. Um, so, you know, when, when you're on the front lines, that becomes kind of a, a, a bit of a conflict. So did you continue that hotel stuff when you were in Pittsburgh and San Francisco and Miami? Yeah, I did. I, I eventually, uh, when I, what I actually studied in the hotel school was real estate finance. Um, so I ended up working at a consultancy that, you know, focused on, you know, consulting for hotel real estate. And I did that. For oh, is this where you sell condos? 
No, we actually did uh, market studies, appraisals. So, you know, when, when somebody wants to buy a hotel, just oh, like okay. buy a house, you have to get an appraisal. So, but hotels are very nuanced uh, real estate beasts. So, uh, so it, it takes a special kind of um, study to to be able to appraise those things. It must be based on its location and access and modernness yeah. and features. Right, exactly. Everything that drives its income. So uh, the more the more money a hotel can make, the more valuable it is, basically. So at this point, you had no plans at all to become a writer. I mean, I didn't take, I mean, honest to God, in college, I mean, it was essentially a business degree, a four-year business program. And I didn't take any English electives. I didn't take any creative writing. <laughs> I could probably count on the number on one hand, the number of, of, of books, of, of, of novels I read, you know, for fun in, in college. So I really didn't get into reading until I was living on my own um, in my early 20s. I kind of discovered, you know, books as, as pleasure for the first time. Was it the reading of books or was it something else that gave you the craft that you needed <laughs> to actually become a writer? You know, who knows, really? I mean, I, I, I think certainly you learn about structure subconsciously from every book that you read, and you learn about storytelling and plotting from from that and from TV shows you watch. Yeah. And see what, what hits you, what resonates with you, what made you particularly interested in what you're, what you're consuming. And that all, you know, that all lives somewhere in, in all of us, right? Yeah. Did you ever so, read John G. McDonald? No, no uh, I haven't. How about Robert Parker? Yep, I've read some Robert Parker. Um, and it's funny, you know, some of the early stuff I got into when I was in my 20s was it, because I had zero money. So I would, I would buy the fattest books I could, I could find um, because it was just more value, um, assuming the book was good. But I really got into um, like the big series like John Jakes, um, uh, a lot of the, the Tom Clancy books, Stephen King. So, you know, I just any, any, any fat book I could find. James Cavell was one of my all-time favorites back then. My wife told me that you do a very interesting thing with your structure of the book, something I appreciate and the reason I like Robert Parker. He's no longer with us, by the way, but he's a great writer. Um, Jesse Stone books and others. Right. So um, we love this way you write short, punchy chapters because, you know, the 40 or 50 page chapter goes on and on and on and on. You think, when, when am I going to get to the end of this? I, I need some coffee. You know, um, <laughs> I need I need to get get away for a second and, but but when you have a two and a half page chapter, it's a page turner because then you say, oh, I've got time. I want to go. I want. I want to know what happens next. And then you read the next two and a half pages, and you're on the cliff, and then you go, oh, I got to keep going. Yeah, it's funny because that's that's rather fantastic incidental. technique. It's and it's incidental because I'm not sitting there thinking like you know, and I hear that comment a lot, and it never really kind of occurred to me that that was what I was doing, um, be, because I think my own, I think I get bored myself, right? Uh, so you're writing these books, and if I wrote a 40-page chapter, I'd be pulling my hair out, because um, I want to know what happens next, because I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, it, it makes it easier to be like, okay, I'm going to end the chapter right there, because that makes me excited for what's coming next. So what took you to Boulder? Was it another hotel job, or was Boulder your writer's uh, trek? No, that was still before I was writing. So I was still with this uh, hotel consultancy job, and um, 
my wife and I at the time, we just, we were in Miami and just didn't want to be in Miami. So we transferred to, to Boulder kind of sight unseen and figured, you know, it's got to be better than Miami. And little did we know it was uh, so much better. <laughs> that must <laughs> than, have been a huge culture change though, being on the it was, East Coast. It, it, it was, but it was a very, it was a very welcome one. Um, you know, Miami's a very aggressive my my memories of Miami was very aggressive, especially when you're driving. And and Colorado, I remember I coming here and just I, I had to calm down on the roads because I nobody drove aggressively at the time, and I had to, <laughs> that was a lesson I had to learn. I had to, I had to not run red lights because <laughs> that's all they did in Miami is they would just, oh, you know, the light turned red, four more cars are allowed to go. I had the same experience the first time I was in Houston. Yeah, I was at a left turn lane and uh, it started turning yellow on me and then it turned red just as I entered the intersection and made my left turn. And I said to my wife, phew, we just made it. And I looked in the rearview mirror and another car followed me and another car followed him and another car followed him. Yeah, it's just this <laughs> unspoken rule. And, you know, that's a place you don't really want to live for too long unless you, you, mm. you, you, you absorb that. All right. So you're in Boulder and you're still doing your thing. And you're restless. Tell me how you decided to write uh, your first novel. Yeah. So, and I'm not sure if I was restless. You know, I was complacent, right? So I'm in this job that, uh, you know, I like the people, I like the work. And I I had this real estate license. and, And what comes with that is you have to take these, you know, once a year you have to take these continuing education classes, which are not at all interesting. Um, they're eight hours long. You're sitting in some, you know, ballroom of a Ramada kind of a situation for eight hours. And I was 33 years old. This is back in 2003. And I was in one of these classes. And about halfway through, I was just going out of my mind. I was so bored. So I decided to give myself a puzzle to solve to make the time go by. And so I, I wrote the following question on a piece of paper i wrote okay three people are murdered at the exact same time in the exact same fashion in different parts of the world what's the connection i don't know why that came to my head but that's what came to my head um and so i i decided i'd spend the rest of the class trying to uh figure out what the answer is to that question and i couldn't figure it out and I got home, and I, and I kept gnawing at me. I'm like, what's the story that answers this question? I just started writing with no experience in writing. I was just, I was just trying to answer the question because it was bugging me. And 90 days later, I had a 400-page manuscript, and I kind of sat back and just went, what the hell just happened? <laughs> you didn't take any classes or reading new books about how to structure a novel or how to write dialogue or anything like that? Nope. Nothing. Wow. I, I, I did that later <laughs> when I realized what I had written wasn't probably very good, but I was just trying to figure it out. And and I didn't tell anybody I was doing this. I didn't tell my wife. I was I was kind of almost embarrassed by it. Um, and you know I didn't want to be the guy who started telling everyone he was writing a novel and then never finished it. And so I was very I was very cagey about it. And then I I had this finished manuscript and then. I didn't know what to do with it. But what do you do with a novel? So I had to start. I had to learn the industry from scratch. You know, what do I do with a novel? You find an agent, and so on and so forth. So, um, but I was lucky to to land an agent with that first novel. But it uh, it never sold. 
I want to ask you more about your novels and your early writing career. But first, we need to take a short commercial break. Folks, we'll be right back. I'm chatting with thriller novelist Carter Wilson. Stay with us. Hello there, all you fabulous background mode listeners. I'm Kelly Gamont with the Mac Observer, and I just want to say a few words about how you can support all the things we do. If you're thinking about buying something from Apple, Amazon, or Mac Mall, just go to the Mac Observer's homepage where we have a section called Support TMO. Or you can just enter macobserver.com forward slash Apple Store, all one word, and that will take you to our special page for Apple and our other affiliates. If you make a purchase from one of our partners this way, the Mac Observer receives a small compensation for sending business their direction. Pretty cool, right? And you don't pay a penny more. This small fee from our affiliates helps us continue to bring you TMO's daily news, reviews, tips, how-tos, and podcasts like this one. So the next time you're thinking about an online purchase, come to TMO's homepage and support the Mac Observer. Thanks. Back to you, John. We're back. I'm chatting with thriller novelist Carter Wilson. So I'm fascinated by this process because I know uh, a few people who try to get a novel published. Um... Some people say that your first novel is get it out of your system. It's not marketable. Get it off your chest and then write the real novel and get it published. How, how, how did you feel after you had trouble find, finding a publisher for the first novel? Did you establish a relationship and get an agent and then just kind of rework the, the situation? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. I mean, how I felt about it is I figured like, well, yeah, of course I, nobody wants my, my, my novel because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so I, I existed in, in a, in a place of, of, um, I don't know, fear almost. Uh, I, so I was very fortunate to get an agent with my first novel, but that took probably 75 rejections before I landed her. Um, and then she shopped that novel and as it was getting rejected, I started to panic because I realized like, this is the only thing I have that I've ever written. So, you know, if, if they reject this novel, my agent's probably going to dump me, right? Because I don't have anything else. So I furiously wrote a second novel. Did you, did your agent say something like, you know, this is good, but no cigar. And if you just kind of do something else a little different, it can hit the market better. A, a little bit. The agent will give you advice on your specific manuscript, and then when you start sending them out to publishers, you only do it one or two at a time. And if they start coming back with similar things that they didn't like about it, then you can kind of go back and and, and maybe try mm-hmm. to patch that. Um, but you know, novels don't sell to, to publishers for a variety of reasons. Uh, quality is just one of them. It just it might not be the right space for that publisher. It might be not the right time for that publisher. Um, so there's really no yeah. You know, if you do this, you'll hit it. That's that's what everybody chases. To me, so to me, I, I was just I would think of you know ideas for stories and and just chase that whether it was marketable or not. Um, so I got into this mode where I would, as one novel was being rejected, which takes about a year, uh, I would be writing another one. And so we got into this kind of comfort level of like, oh, okay, every year I have something new. Um, and what's amazing is if, if you if you listen to rejection, there's so much you can learn. And these, these editors who were rejecting me were reading the entire books and really writing like lengthy paragraphs about why they didn't like it. And after three novels worth of rejections, I had so many rejections that I really had a lot of good advice. Um, and I put a lot of that into my fourth novel, which was the first one that finally sold. Once you become an established author and get a name for yourself, sometimes you can circle back 
and on just on the strength of your name, get the earlier works published. Have you tried that? Yeah, that's true. It's not always it's not always something you would advise because there's reasons why those first novels didn't sell. Yeah, and yeah. The, the people say is, he's gone off the deep end. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and as you establish your name, you also establish a voice and you establish kind of um, a, a place in the market. And, yeah, and those, yeah. those earlier novels might not have adhered to it. And what's interesting is actually one of those novels I just adore, and I went back and I completely rewrote it. And it's something that's it's marketable, um, and we 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 have it, but but it doesn't quite fit the space that I traditionally write in. So we're not we haven't done anything with it yet. Um, but the other two, yeah, I, I, they're just practice novels. I haven't even looked at those probably in a decade. What led you to choose the thriller genre as opposed to mysteries? Yeah, I mean. I, that's certainly nothing that I did intentionally because again I'm coming I was coming from a place of not knowing anything at all about the publishing industry. Um yeah, I mean it was all completely new to me. And I just wrote what I thought was interesting to me. And then um you know, it was the publisher who said, Oh, this is a thriller. I'm like, Oh, okay. I didn't know that. What's a thriller? <laughs> and, you know, thriller thrillers and mysteries, uh and suspense the, yeah, it's like music. The genres have very vague and ill-defined edges, right? And they all bleed over into one another. Um, you know, probably what I write could be most accurately characterized as like domestic suspense. Um, but it, you know, some, you know, some people say it's even got tinges of horror in it and some of my earlier stuff. So it's 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 kind of whatever you want to label it as. So. Um how do you write your novels? Do you outline the chapters first and say, this is what I want to achieve in each chapter? I, I think I know the answer already, but I want yeah. to hear it from you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm what's known as a pantser. I uh, write from the seat of my pants. Um, I don't outline. I, uh, you know, uh, I think that would be a glorious thing to be able to do. It's just not something that that suits me. And yeah, I, I just, I think of too many things spur of the moment that an outline, anytime I've tried outlining, it just falls apart within, you know, a few chapters uh, because I get excited about a new direction. Um, so essentially what I do is I start with an idea for an opening chapter. So I think about things that if I were reading this book or if I saw this on a TV show and this is how it opened, I'd want to know a lot more about mm, this. Yeah. So, and so I'll write this chapter. I won't know who these people are, why they're doing what they're doing, but it's just a very, to me, I put them in a very intriguing situation. And then, and it's funny, this is exactly how I started my writing career. I started with that question that I had to answer. So I write this, now I write this opening scene and I spend the rest of the book trying to solve what that scene is about. Um, and usually about halfway to 75% of the way through, it'll kind of hit me. I'm like, oh, okay, this is what this book is about. And this maybe is where it's going. Um, um, but usually not much before that. Do you ever find that you get into continuity problems where in chapter 22, you take a, you take a place, you take the novel to a place where it's in opposition to what you did in chapter 10 and you go, oh, no, I've got a continuity problem. Oh, this, uh, an indescribable amount of that happens. Um, <laughs> in my last girl, in my last book, The Dead Girl in 2A, 
I just was throwing so much stuff at these characters and I had no idea where any of it was going <laughs> that about halfway through I stopped writing and I spent about a month and I just put I put huge sheets of paper covered my office walls and just got markers and just started writing words and I would just stare at these words and just try to figure out where is the story going and it took me about a month of doing that and then it kind of clicked um do you, you have, know do that, you have conversations with your characters in your head I don't think I go that deep into it, but I, I, I start thinking about like people's motivations or why, why are they doing this? Does this make sense? Is mm-hmm. this too easy? Um, and you know, that's some of the best part of writing is, is that problem solving. That's, that's what's exciting to me is, is when things just kind of, you figure something out. Um, that's the most exciting thing that happens. And, and I, and I don't know how I would do that by outlining because I, I don't think I could just think of all those things, uh, you know, sitting down and writing an outline. It, they just kind of evolve as you're, as you're going through the process. So I'm going to take a little detour here. We're a generally Apple centric publication. So I have to ask you, are you a glorious Mac user? <laughs> I, I'm not. I, I was, um, I, I was in college and, you know, it, it kind of becomes what you, uh, you're given in your first jobs, what you get acclimated to. And so, mm-hmm. um, but, um, but the, the, the rest of my family is. So what tool do you use? Oh, heaven help us if you're using Microsoft Word on a PC. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly what that's I'm exactly. using. A lot of yeah. authors tell me that. They say the I, publisher provides a template and I'm stuck. Yeah. No, I just, I don't even have a template. I just have, you know, a, a basic Word doc that, that works for me. And I have a very skinny laptop that I, I take uh, everywhere I go. And, um, and that's about that. About the only time I ever wanted to put my fist through a computer display was Microsoft Word. Because it was messing with my template and I would try to do something with style and it would yeah. mess me up and everything would change and I couldn't get back to where I was and I was in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's all what you're used to, right? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I try to learn something new and it's, it's frustrating. So you, you tend to stick with what, what, what you've, what you've used before. So all of your books. Okay. So return from subroutine. So all of your books uh, have been psychological thrillers. Do you ever worry that you're going to run out of thriller gas? No, I don't think so, because what I like to write about is I like to write about just, um, you know, the human mind and, and paranoia and, and uncertainty about what's around you and what's real and what's not real. Um, and who can you trust? And geez, I can't imagine, I can't imagine a, a, a deeper trove of, of, of stories to go to from, from using those as a basis. Hmm. Interesting. So your readers are not complaining that you're repeating things. No, I think you know it's, it's interesting. I've never, I don't write any series. All my books are standalone stories, and I, I very rarely ever repeat locations. I never repeat people. You know, there might be a little bit of a crossover or reference of one story to another, just because that's fun for me. Um, so what I tend to get is like, you know, wow, this was not what I was expecting based on the cover um and what led to that decision because a lot of authors find it uh, helpful or convenient to leverage off of a known character and take them through a series of three or four books and sort of tell a long arc of a story but you made a decision to make the each of these books independent was there something on your mind that led to that it's just more interesting for me um Mm. i don't 
I don't want to be tied down. I want to be able to kill anybody at any time. <laughs> um, and, I've, and I've done that. I, I don't, I've killed major characters because I just... In the Why moment, do authors do that? Just, you know, there's something about sitting down and just you're drinking your coffee. And you're like, what if I just kill this guy? <laughs> and you kill him and then you just, and you just look at it and you're like, okay, what does that do for the rest of the story? And mm. sometimes, that, sometimes it's the wrong decision. You change it. Other times you're like, wow, this just... It really made things interesting, um, but mostly it's because um, I haven't, and I'm not against it, but I haven't ever found a character that I want to. I'm like, I, this is going to be this person's story. Uh, I, I find that that works best when you have a character who's maybe a, a detective or, or it's a you know, procedural novel, mm-hmm. and, and I just don't, I just don't write that, and I, I always find it hard to find like series where there's kind of a because I, I write very much from an everyday perspective this is an everyman you know character and to find you know story after story of something crazy that happens to this person just stretches it too much to me you mentioned earlier in the show that you watch certain tv shows i wanted to explore that a little more do you, are there favorite tv shows on network or streaming that you're inspired by that because these are episodic. Oh. Generally, they carry characters on from week to week, too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, and different different shows give you different insights, right? So I just rewatched and finished it last night, um, season one of Fargo, which is probably one of the best limited series that I've ever seen in terms of the writing, the character development, the you know the situations that they they put their characters in and uniquely solve outs for them. Um, I also just rewatched all of Mad Men, which is a much longer series, obviously, and and you know you, you can't find probably a deeper well of character development than you can in that show. So you know that's obviously not a show that you would say, hey, this is how to write thrillers, but but if you, if you want to learn how to make somebody care about each and every one of those characters that you can't beat that show. Um, so yeah, just anything that's unique, that's not too over the top, but that's got, got kind of that tinge of like, what is happening here? Um, I, I, I gravitate towards those. You must've enjoyed lost then. The, the pilot of Lost, you know, my contention is the pilot of Lost and the pilot of Breaking Bad and the pilot of Fargo season one are probably the three best opening shows episodes uh, out there because you and that's exactly what I'm looking for. Right. That's how I like to write up. Like, what happens what to these people? Who are right, they? Why and, are they going to get rescued? If they don't get rescued, how are they going to interact? What yeah, are they going to try to do to get off the island? Yeah, yeah, lost. What lost was tremendous, and, and it's actually interesting. And in, in, in my latest book, Dead Girl in Two A, I, I set a portion of the book in at the Maroon Bells in the Colorado Rockies, and that the mysticism with which I tried to attach um, to to the Maroon Bells was kind of a tribute to, to the island of Lost. Um, that was when I was writing. I'm like, this is Lost, but in the mountains is kind of how I wanted it. I wanted these mountains to, to have some kind of life to them, some kind of, um, uh, you know, magic that, that was a little bit beyond just, you know, being just a beautiful location. Well, you brought up my next subject. That's the latest book, the dead girl in two a, which is set in Colorado, specifically Denver. I think that's the first time you've done that. 
Yeah, I had one of my books, the, the the Boy in the Woods, had some scenes in Denver, but I typically don't like to write about places I know well because I find that to be easy. So I like to just um, discover new places and, and learn about them. Interesting, because the advice I've seen, and I'm not a, I'm not a published writer like you are, but I've seen advice that says write what you know. I'm curious about your approach. Yeah, well, if I wrote what I knew, then I'd probably be in prison. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I think I write what I know a little bit, but, but I, I typically don't like to do that. And, and in fact, that's one of the reasons I've shifted a lot to writing from um, a, a female point of view, um, because it's interesting to me. It's interesting to explore that territory and 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 try to get into, for me, new worlds, um, because that's more of a challenge. Um, and, and it becomes, it, it's just more fun to write from that perspective. So one book I set in Manchester, New Hampshire, almost kind of at random. And so I went out there. I'm like, let me spend a few days in Manchester. Let mm-hmm. me explore it. That's exciting for me. It's like, this is this world I'm going to be talking about rather than, yeah, I know Denver. But um, but it was in this book, I really wanted the Maroon Bells to be a place that 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 a substantive part of the book takes place. So it, it just it needed to be in Denver. So tell us about the dead girl in two way. Give us a sort of a synopsis without any spoilers. Sure. It's the yeah. latest novel. It's on everybody's mind. It's, um, you know, coming from that perspective of, hey, what's this opening scene that would, would interest me? I thought of, uh, what if, you know, a man and a woman sat next to each other on a plane? And not only did they each independently have a sense that they knew one another, but they, but they had a sense that they knew one another almost viscerally, like they, even by smell. Um, what would that conversation take place? What would it look like over the next few hours? So I had these characters coming from Boston to Denver, trying to explore what they had in common. And all they decide, all they could figure out was that um, neither of them could remember their childhood before the age of 10. And they were also starting to lose more memories. And as the plane is approaching to Denver, the woman confesses to the man that she's going up to the Colorado mountains to kill herself. And then she disappears into the airport. So the story is what happens after they get off that plane. The story is about the effects of losing your memory too, and worrying about who you are. Very much so. Yeah. My, um, you know, I, I write a lot about memory. Um, you know, my father passed from early onset Alzheimer's, uh, 10 years ago, actually. And while there's a kind of a loose thread of memory in most of my books, this was a book that I'm like, you know what? I really want to just write face on about memory because to memories, the concept of memory to me is fascinating because it can be beautiful, it can be horrifying. Um, and, and I like that duality and I like the idea that you can run from everything except for your own mind. Um, so I, I really wanted to have, you know, memory be a, 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 a central part to this book. I'm going to throw you a curvy question here. Have you gotten any pushback on the use of the word girl in the title when it's really a young, a young woman? Uh, I haven't. Um, my, you know, the original title that I had 
the book has was called The Orphan List. Um, and oh, then, how boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and, and but, you know, publishers have opinions about that. And they, you know, they're the ones who sell the books and they know what they're doing. And, you know, that I think had too much of a historical connotation to it. And so my editor came up with a title and, you know, I brought that up with her. I'm like, well, she's not really a girl. She's 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 a grown woman. Um but you know, in the marketplace, I think it was uh, the right decision to get to go with. So I, I I defer to those who who know much better than me on those kind of subjects. Is this your number one selling book now? Um, you know, it's probably too early to tell that the but this one and, and the prior one, Mister Tinder's Girl, um, uh, were probably are probably my my two most popular titles. Okay, so what's next? So we have – I've written something new that we have with the publisher right now, so we are going to talk to them about that. And I'm, I'm actually working on something new that's actually related to the, the, the book that's with my publisher in terms of it's, it's the same location, uh, not the same characters. But it's the first time I've ever kind of kept the same location, and it's a fictional town in New Hampshire. Um, so that's kind, of, that's kind of been fun for me. So uh, we're coming to the end of the show. We're running out of time, and I want to ask uh, another curvy question here, and maybe maybe not so much. Um, you live in Colorado. Um, are you a skier or a writer? Talk about mysticism and glory of the mountains. Yeah, I I used to be a skier, and then you know you know what, John, you have kids, and then they don't want to go skiing, and then you try to take them up there, and they're complaining, and it's expensive. <laughs> you quickly, you quickly um, fall out of the the ability to to ski. But I I actually really enjoy going to the mountains uh, in the summertime, um, and and the only exception is I you know I go up to Estes Park. Uh, once a year in the dead of winter and stay at the Stanley Hotel um, oh, and do cool. a little writing trip. Yeah, very, I always stay in one of the haunted rooms. They have about eight rooms that are designated haunted rooms, and uh, that's my annual uh, pilgrimage to the mountains in the winter. Have you been to Bear Lake? Yeah, Bear Lake is beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful walk around the lake. It's about yep. a mile. Yeah, yep. that's really nice. Cool. Well, we are out of time. So, I want to thank you. It's been great. Yeah, thank you, John. No, it has been fantastic. I really appreciate you uh, having me on the show. Thanks for sharing your career arc and telling us a glorious story about how you kind of backed into writing. And you must be very, very gifted, more gifted than the rest of us, because I don't know anybody else who could start from scratch like you did and uh, and get published. So congratulations. Well, like, thank you. Like everything else, it's practice and perseverance uh, rather than more, more so than talent, I would say. Well, you have a lot of talent, that's for sure. All Thank right. You. So tell the listeners how they can contact you if they wish. Sure. If you just go to my website, carterwilson.com, there's a contact form uh, to email me, or you can just find me on uh, Instagram at Carter Wilson Author. Great. You've been listening to Carter Wilson and John Marchalera talking about his latest book, The Dead Girl in Two A. And that brings the show to a close. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Mac Observer's Background Mode. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>